Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And we welcome you to this edition of Tuesday People, the podcast. We're so glad to have you joining us. I'm your host, Mitch Album. I am the author of the book Tuesdays with Maury, upon which this podcast is originally based and inspired. Alongside is Lisa Goich, my friend and producer. Lisa, nice to see you as always. Always nice to be here. We've got a special show for you today. Uh, if you've ever heard of the idea of your life flashing before your eyes. I'm not sure where that originated. I don't know if it was a literary phrase or somebody actually uh, said that it happened and then it became a literary phrase. But mm -hmm. we have a, a very interesting guest to talk about that concept and what actually happens at that moment when we, as some people refer to it, pass over. I want to introduce you uh, to our next guest, whose name is Ajmal Zenmar. He is a fascinating, uh, not only doctor, and his credentials are incredible. He's neurosurgery and oncology, cancer care. But he has a fascinating story as to how he got here. And we want to welcome him to the Tuesday People podcast. Ajmal, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. It's a great pleasure. And it's a special um, uh, event for me to be here. I'll tell you why. In medical school, I have uh, read Tuesdays with Maury, and I have shared the book with uh, one of the most important mentors I've had in my life, who is a prominent neurosurgeon at New York University, uh, nominated for Nobel Prize on a few occasions. So I've learned a lot of my scientific career from him, and believe it or not, but uh, we have both basically read the book, and... Uh, it's it's inspired us in many ways. Wow. Well, I'm I'm very flattered and 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 honored to hear you say that. And I'm sure Maury, wherever he is, is is equally flattered and honored, uh, especially with what we're going to talk about here. Uh, before we get into what happened when an 87 year old man experienced a subdural hematoma, a bleeding between the skull and the brain, and doctors decided to operate and. He seemed to be okay for the first three days, then started having some seizures, and you discovered something through putting something called an EEG, which people have had done on the brain, a fascinating uh, discovery. Before we get to that, I'm teasing everybody, just tell our audience, because it's so interesting, how your, your path from where you were born to where you are talking to us right now. Um, yes, uh, I was born in Afghanistan, in Kabul, in 1983. This was a time when the Russians had invaded Afghanistan. So as we can see, uh, there's history that repeats itself. There's a Russian invasion going on in Ukraine right now. I very much feel with these people because of my own story. We, uh, I was six years old. We fled the country in 89. We basically arrived in Germany 
with not much more than a suitcase in a hand. My parents were very well off in Afghanistan. My dad was uh, the dean of the university there, and they had to leave everything behind and basically come over to Germany and start from scratch again with nothing. Hmm. Uh, so I grew up in Germany. I went to medical school there, and then I pursued a PhD in neuroscience in Zurich in Switzerland. Uh, met my wife and moved to Canada after that and did my neurosurgical residency in Vancouver, followed by a fellowship to subspecialize in Toronto. And then I ended up in the United States as a faculty neurosurgeon where I'm now at the University of Louisville. Okay, an impressive run. It's uh, just a run-of-the-mill run story, you know, from Kabul to Louisville. Sure, it's uh, everybody does that. But, well, That's we right. could probably do a whole podcast just on your experiences in, in Kabul and, and, and how it relates to today's uh, goings-on, because you sure do have a, a lot to share with people on that. But the, the reason that we asked you to come on is because, obviously, you know, talking about topics that have been inspired by Tuesdays with Maury, a lot of people... We're talking about people who have lost people, who go through uh, witnessing people uh, pass on. Uh, and of course, the biggest question is what happens next? And is there anything that happens next? We've had that discussion many times. And Maury did believe that there was something that came next, wasn't sure what. But what he, he said, interestingly, as it relates to our conversation with you, is uh, I'm having dreams that... Uh, the distance between life and death is not as great as we think. Maybe it's just a small little bridge. Now, that's hard for us to imagine because, after all, we, uh, we think of life as one thing and death as the total opposite. But tell us about this case that I mentioned at the top. When you were at the University of Louisville and an elderly man uh, came in, had some surgery, and you started monitoring him for seizures. And then very, something unthinkable happened. Walk us through it. So you, you're very right. We, I was on call. And we had a patient come in with a so, so-called subdural hematoma, as you mentioned, a bleed between the skull and the brain. Uh, the patient's family mentioned that he's very independent. They wanted us to operate, which we did. The patient did very well. He was talking to us. He was basically back to his baseline. And we were very happy about the surgery. Then three days later, he developed seizures. We attached an EEG, an electroencephalogram, to his brain, which is a standard procedure in medicine just to know where these seizures come from. Are they really related to the brain? Or is it more of a metabolic issue or other reasons? So we detected these seizures in the brain. And he talked to us when we attached the EEG. Then in a matter of about 20 minutes from talking to us, he went to have a cardiac arrest and unfortunately died. And this happened while we had the EEG attached to his brain and recorded the brain activity. Um, at the time, we didn't know how special this recording was. We were just focused on ensuring the proper care for the patient. And then after... When we went to search in the literature, we didn't find anything that had been reported previously as to what happens when somebody dies, what happens in the brain, what happens with the recordings. So we were left behind with that, and we thought that we could provide a unique piece 
to the scientific literature with that. So, so many questions to ask you about that. Uh, if I understand and remember from what I read about this, was it about 15 minutes of brain activity after he, he had the heart attack? Um, so what we had is we, we recorded brain activity for quite a while, but we had the brain waves, which I can explain in detail in a bit, those were outlasting the cardiac arrest. So or in other words, after the heart stopped pumping blood into the brain, mm-hmm. the brain kept on going for another 30 seconds. I see. After that 30 seconds, we did not detect any more brainwave patterns that may be related to memory and life recalls. So was the patient, now here's where we get into medical things. When your heart starts, stops pumping, Yes. is that when you are technically dead? Or when your brain activity stops, is that when you were technically dead? That is the golden question. And um, I think the traditional way to view it the way we grow up with, the way that, you know, if you see Hollywood, you see this uh, flickering heart signal, and if that goes into a flat line, it is synonymous to we are dead. This view of the heart stops working and the human life ends is being challenged with our study, but also with others. So our work shows that the brain goes on for 30 seconds after the heart stops. Mm-hmm. I have had a colleague from Italy who, after we published our article, got in touch with me and mentioned to me an article that they had published from monkeys where the monkey brain goes on for two hours after the heart stops working. Wow. So it, it is, uh, we don't know right now how long the brain can go it may vary from patient to patient you have to keep in mind that our patient's brain has had brain bleed seizures swelling drugs Um, we don't know how long this could go on in the patient who's alive Um, an interesting correlation is a study from rats that had been done by u.s scientists in 2013 that similarly to ours showed 30 seconds after the heart stops working, the rat brain keeps going with Hmm. very similar brainwave patterns that we observed. And the brainwave patterns that you saw were similar to the way the brain functions when you remember memories. Is that accurate? That is accurate. I think there's a few important correlations here. We have near-death survivors who very consistently describe similar experience. Namely, they say they have had a memory flashback, life recall. They saw a light. They saw out-of-body experiences. They had meditative states, dreaming. Those are kind of throughout the bank what near-death survivors experience and describe it is not like they will tell you completely different things it's pretty astonishing that they basically are very consistent in their explanations yeah so when we have similar findings uh namely let's say we let's say you and i 
would go ahead and attach an EEG to our brain when we have recall of important events in our life. So you and I would see the birth of our child in pictures or in a video, our wedding in a video or in pictures, and we would record the EEG from our brain while we do this. There has been experiments that have been done that way, and what they show is very distinct patterns of brain waves. We call them neuronal oscillations that happen in our brain. There's different kinds of waves. The fastest one of those are called gamma waves. And we know that those happen in the brain when we have memory recalls. Now, beside the evidence from healthy humans, the study from rats where rats had induced cardiac arrest and their brain activity was recorded shows the very same brainwave patterns at the time of the rat's death. And in our study of the human brain, we see the exact same brainwaves happening Hmm. just before the heart stops working and 30 seconds after. So what does this... What does this portend more of, Ajmal? Would would it be that this is some evidence of that notion of just before you die or just before you slip away, you uh, see all kinds of things from your life, i.e. my life flashed before my eyes, or that there is some kind of connection going on with something else? Uh, that you are encountering something or and you're concentrating and you're, you know, like, okay, here comes the white light. I need to focus on it and see it. What is it? What am I seeing? Who are you? Hello. And then boom, you're no longer in this world. You're someplace else. Which right. of those two things does this offer some evidence for? You know, we have to be careful in the interpretation of the data. Our data comes from one patient. And I wish there was a way that I could ask the patient what they actually experienced at the time when I recorded from the brain. That would help me to answer your question uh, directly. I don't have that. And as much as I wish, it is virtually impossible to ask somebody who passes away whether they had a near-death experience or not. So even though I can record from their brain I can't directly link it with what they've actually experienced. So all I'm left with to answer this question is the brain recording that I have and linking that with what we know from near-death survivors. Um, If if I had to uh, bring everything together, I would like to think that the brain has a very structured response before we die. The brain always has a structured response to no matter what we do in life. And that is based on experience we have, based on genetic. The brain is essentially a prediction machine. Uh, it, It always tries to tell you what to do to ensure the best possible outcome based on previous experience. In death, I wouldn't think it does anything different. It it is to me, the, the question that comes is, Until when does the brain give a structured response? Is the memory flashback that we have heard so many times from people who were thinking they're dead and they come back, is that part of a structured brain response? Or is it really when the brain gives up and says goodbye 
I have done what I can do. I don't think there's a way to survive this this uh, organism anymore. I'm checking out. And this is when you're flashing back uh, the most memorable events of your life. I don't know the answer. I hope we can find out. Yeah. Well, how would we? I mean, uh, yours was, was an accident. Uh, yes. Is there some way with i mean rats in many cases and with rare exception are not humans yes. although i know a few who might humans are rats yeah <laughs> uh right uh so it's not enough to say well we can test it on a thousand rats it doesn't prove anything how do we explore this deeper um th- the to me the biggest challenge is not so much to obtain recordings from patients who pass away that I think can be planned, although it's difficult because you can't predict the time when patients die. Uh, for example, if you have patients who are in the palliative care unit, they have a terminal disease, they we know they pass away, we can speak with them, adjust an EEG, obtain recordings. We can probably do this also in an emergency setting in a, in a patient who is similar to ours that we recorded from or in any other patient. The biggest question to me is, when is the time that the brain stops consciously perceiving? And I may give an explanation to what I exactly mean by this to clarify a little bit. If you go to the other side of life when we're born, in the neonate brain, until the neonate is six months old, it is incapable of perceiving pain. Although the nerve cells that are responsible for pain, they fire the circuits are active, we can measure all that, the neonate cannot perceive pain because the substrate of pain perception is not present. So if you take this analogy to the time of death, the biggest question to me is, when does the substrate of conscious perception stop? And can we capture that time point with an EEG recording? So I may be registering brain signals and waves from a patient, but I don't know if that patient is consciously perceiving anything or similar to the neonate prior to six months, you have these nerve cells dancing around and firing, but the neonate isn't perceiving pain. Mm. So figuring out that time point, when do we consciously stop? When does the brain say goodbye? And then correlating that time point with the EEG recording is to me the key question. We're working on that. We're designing experiments. We're trying to come up with ways and measures that we could correlate um, so that we could pin things down and say, you know, having imaging, having electrophysiology to try to understand the language of the brain at that time point to be able to say, this patient may have passed away before the heart stopped working, consciously passed away, although the brain works, although everything keeps going, the conscious perception is gone because of drug treatment, for example, and so on and so forth. Versus the other patient may keep going after the heart stopped working. And so we could answer that question of um, what is going on really in the brain at the time when it consciously stops being active. Yeah. We'll be back with more Tuesday People right after this. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Has there never in all the people who have gone through near-death experiences and have come back, yeah. you know, the, the, they were lost on an operating table for, you know, a few seconds or half a minute. Uh, I had an uncle uh, who went through that and um, claimed that his body floated out of his, out of his, uh, his soul floated out of his body and mm-hmm. looked down on the table, saw the operating table and that he saw all of his dead relatives waiting for him at the edge of the bed. And right. then he was returned to his body when they resuscitated him. And that right. became the basis of my first novel, The Five People You Meet in Heaven, because he had told me that you know, there were people waiting for him, and I believed him. He wasn't trying to sell a book. He wasn't trying to get on a talk show. He was just telling me, you know, he's my uncle, and he t- I believed him. And so I you know, wrote a novel about what life would be like if there were five people from your life who were waiting for you, maybe not necessarily your relatives, maybe maybe one or two of them was your relatives, or some of them were just people you had an effect on uh, here on Earth, and they were waiting to sh- tell you how you affected them. But there's so many people who have had that experience, and they come back, as you say, they talk about the white light. They, some talk about seeing Jesus. Some talk about feeling just incredibly light and... and uh, you know, all their pain is gone. All their worries are gone. In all of those people, were there never machines running that somehow uh, captured something about what was going on in the body while that stuff was happening in the mind? It is as astonishing to me as it is to you that that has never happened. It wow. is a rare circumstance um, in medicine to have that. And the reason is that, you know, medicine is really very much, especially surgery, is very much a repetition of known algorithms that we always do and we try to do them the same way to minimize error and mistake. So you normally would start your operation the same way that you would always do it. And that doesn't include a recording of an EEG. When you have those cases that you mentioned, Luckily, they're extremely rare. Luckily, most of the operations and surgeries that I do, my colleagues do, brain surgery or any other surgery that we're doing, they go fine. The uh, complication and what you mentioned, resuscitating a patient to come back, that is luckily very, very rare. That is why we don't, by default, attach EEGs or measuring devices to the patient's body unless we have to. And um, once it happens, it would be very unethical for the physician to say, hey, hold on a second. I'm going to go grab my EEG team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just wait here. Just hang here for a second. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah I understand. Uh, well, it is, it's fascinating that it hasn't been better recorded. It's fortuitous 
that you had yours, it's a little bit of a Pandora's box in that now that this has been opened, everybody is curious about, you know, well, would we discover this again? Was it a freak thing with this particular patient? Did this particular patient's brain, because it had already undergone such trauma, only last for 30 seconds when maybe a healthier person who suddenly has a cardiac arrest would go on for a minute or two minutes. It, it raises as many questions as, as it answers, uh, but it does make people wonder, you know, what, what happens in that last, those, those final seconds and I, what is I, it I that think, we're seeing? I think um, a few thoughts. Everybody wants science to discover and understand everything. It is okay, and that's great. That's what we strive for. And when it comes to the brain, I'm not sure if that's a good thing. If you think about it, the brain really is the last private sphere that we as humans have. Everything else, especially in today's world, you know, everybody, everywhere you go through the digital revolution that we've had, privacy is decreased. Your thoughts, what you think, is the last thing maybe that people cannot look into. So if if I told you today that as a neuroscientist, I have figured out everything about the brain, I know exactly how it works, and I have found out what we think when we die, what you think in every minute of your life, that would help us to treat the diseased, which would be phenomenal and fantastic, but that is a fraction of mankind. It would also bring us to a point where people could look into our brains. Hmm. I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't think it is. I think the job of a neuroscientist, if it remains to be a black box and we don't know everything and anything about the brain, in my opinion, is a good thing. Also, not to uncover every little detail of what happens in our brain when we die, in my opinion, is a good thing because it leaves room for interpretation if i come and i give a little bit of insights from the science point of view to say this might happen but i leave the interpretation to so many of the beautiful spiritual varieties that we have in our world for everybody to kind of paint their own picture of how they would like to die i don't think that's a bad thing yeah yeah that's that's very thoughtful yeah, because I'm, I'm thinking about that now, just thinking, could you imagine if, let's say, uh, you had done a study and you find out that there's nothing, right? That like everything just goes kaput, right? When the brain dies and the heart goes. Um, what if there was some some study that found out that there was nothing? Could you imagine what it would do for faith in the world if if something like that was on Earth? So I I understand what you're saying, you know? There's yeah. there's a magical spiritual aspect we have to keep whole. Um, I, I, I agree. I I, think I, I, I admire you, Doctor Zamar, because most scientists, uh, when they get a tiger by the tail, you know, they just want to dig deeper, research, research, research. You know, everything is for knowledge, and knowledge is king. And the more data we have, and uh, you know, they look at it very coldly. Um, and the fact that you respect the mystery of life. And the mystery of death, uh, particularly as a as a neurosurgeon and as a as a doctor, I think is uh, is very startlingly refreshing. And Thank you very uh, I, much. Sal- I salute you for that. Uh, 
even though I'm curious as hell as to what the answer <laughs> I is. I know. Everybody wants the answer. I, right? really, I really want three or four more case studies, but uh, <laughs> I understand that, uh, you know, that may not all be for the best, but. Um, I'm, I'm very hopeful that we will have more case studies. We're working on it right now. I, I think we will have uh, a few more sets there, but fortunately so, the brain is so complex and is so intricately arranged that even if we had a hundred more case sets, we may not uncover every detail of how it works. So I'm happy as a scientist that we can go and elucidate some of it, bring some light, bring some evidence, but also leave the mystery to its point and have room for interpretation for everybody who would like to interpret it in their own way. Well said. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, Dr. Ajmal Zemar. It's, it's really interesting at the University of Louisville is uh, where he does his work. And you can uh, check online and, and see a whole lot about this uh, and, and a whole lot about what he discovered in his work. It's been a pleasure having you with us. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be here. Lisa, uh, I would just close by raising the question that I think Dr. Zamar really put really well. Do you want to know every piece of detail about what happens? Do you just want to know a little bit, just enough for a sliver of hope? Uh, when I read this story initially, without hearing some of the details of it, just saw the headline on it, I thought, great, you know, that's good, that's optimistic. As I, as I started reading more and listening to Dr. Zamar, I realized, well, yeah, could be, but it could also be, you know, just sort of the brain shutting down. And so, yeah, you get a last sort of, um, here's your greatest hits for 30 seconds, right. <laughs> but then that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily mean there's anything beyond it. And so you're right when you raise that question, when he raised it, you know, maybe if you dig too deep and you just find nothing, it, it ends up, it ends up affecting how happy and, and, and how faithful perhaps you could be. Although faith, Faith doesn't need proof, you know, real real faith goes beyond science and says, well, you know, I'm going to believe what I'm going to believe. We don't we still don't know all this is all this is it's just data and science. Yeah. We still don't know what happens to the soul. Uh we're only measuring it with human tools. We're measuring it with EEGs. For all we know, a hundred years from now an EEG is gonna look like a a, a leech for bloodletting. Right. <laughs> you know, it might be so old fashioned. Um, but do you want to know, you know, would you want that proven? Uh, no. And how would we how would we live differently if we had that proven? What, yeah. what, what do you think? Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why I said what I said, which is it's probably best that we're left with just this glimmer of hope. Right. I still look at it as hopeful, like, wow, something still goes on. And what is it? You know, I think back to um, uh, uh, what's his face? Steve Jobs. Right. When he died, yeah. when he said, wow, wow, wow. Right. right. Um uh, you, you'd like to think that, what is he seeing? What does he know? I think that we still need some mystery because if we were able to actually pinpoint and say, you guys, I hate to tell you this, but nothing happens when you die. This is it. Could you imagine? I mean, that's a movie right there. That, that, is, that would be the downfall of civilization, you know? Um, or maybe not. Maybe no, it would I, don't, I, don't, I don't really think so. I think, I think, You'd have a few people who might have been on the fence who might say, "Ah, oh, well, that does it for me. But I think people who want to believe that there's something beyond this world, 
believe They're still going to believe. Yeah, well, they, they and and they should because, as I say, we're just measuring it with human medical tools. And you know, there was a time in history where, as I say, we used we used leeches to to bleed people out. We we examined people's. Uh, from the outside only, you know, we couldn't see what was going on. There's no such thing as an X-ray or an MRI or anything like that. And we made scientific judgments from all kinds of other things. And we may think we're hugely advanced now, but 50 years from now, we're going to look back on this and say we were in the Stone Ages. So uh, science can keep going, keep going, keep going. But it's it's also similar to the beginning of the world. I mean, they've managed to trace mankind back to tadpoles and single cells and the universe back to a, a, a an explosion, Big Bang theory. But that hasn't stopped people from saying, well, who created the Big Bang? Who created the cell? You yeah. know, how, how, you, there still has to be something before there's nothing. And there still has to be something after this life turns to nothing. Yeah. And so, so it's all a mystery. May, yeah. And people are going to probably want to believe what they want to believe. But uh, as happened with my uncle, you know, I can't tell you how Many times in my life, my Uncle Eddie, who became the Eddie of the five people you meet in heaven, that memory about that story about I saw all my relatives and they were waiting for me has given me comfort. Yeah. As, as you know, when I've when I've had a medical scare or something like that or think about my own mortality, it gives me comfort to think, well, all right, you know, I don't want to leave this world, but. If I have to and I have no choice in that moment when I leave, am I going to see my mother, my father, my uncle, my little girl, Chica, my all the people that that I, I miss here on Earth? Would that be so terrible? You know, uh, and, and it 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 gives me peace. Yeah. And if that's if that's what the stories and that's what this podcast does for some people, I don't think that's a bad thing. No, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I want to keep the mystery going. But I do like this. This story to me was so fascinating, which is why we had Dr. Zamar on, because yeah. it's so fascinating that this, first of all, like you said, is the first time that this has ever been recorded. And and I really do think it gives us a glimmer of, see, there might be something. So yeah. I say that's where we leave it. And when I, I look at Dr. Ajmal Zamar's photo, he looks like he's about 30. <laughs> I'm like... How did this guy get all, all so accomplished and he's a neurosurgeon, oncologist, cancer care, neuro-oncology, and he, he, he looks like, you know, he just was playing for his uh, college uh, lacrosse team a couple of years right. ago. So very <laughs> impressive, very impressive work indeed. Well, we hope you enjoyed that little uh, kind of deviation from our, our normal pattern, but I think Maury would have enjoyed hearing about that too and wondering. Oh, yeah. And as I Definitely. said, uh, he, he said to me, you know, maybe the, the bridge between here and and the next world is a lot shorter than you think and who knows maybe he was right uh we will gather again for sure until we do remember wetuesdaypeople.com on the web that's our web page you can find out about previous shows and discussion groups and all the like lisa goich produces this program for us and we thank her for that and lisa until we see you again i am mitch album saying See you all next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday People. <laughs>